podcast with James and Jane. Hey, this is Jane. And just before we get into this episode, I want to remind you all about the great stuff on our website at www.worldofwork.io. Over there, you can check out our online seminar program, the workshops we run, as well as our coaching and all the other podcasts we've recorded. So that's www.worldofwork.io. Now on to this episode. Hi, this is James. And Jane. And here we are with another episode of a World of Work podcast. We've got another summer special for you. We are um, part of our little collection of episodes here looking at engagement and experience and uh, all things to do with that and how you understand the uh, employee um, perspective from the world of work. Um, and today we've got a conversation which we've had with Andy Roberts from Weekly 10. Yeah, so uh, just like all of these summer specials, they are little mini interviews that give you the opportunity to get behind uh, the curtain on some of the people working and studying employee engagement. Andy Roberts, uh, for me, was a really interesting conversation, um, partially because I really love how he's using a data tool to empower uh, managers to have better conversations with their employees. I think that's a it's the first time I've heard someone talk about using data in that way and using it as a way to reassure senior managers and senior leadership that um, it's working uh, and what's happening, but uh, uh, therefore giving them the ability to delegate it down to management. And I love, I absolutely love that. Yeah, there's some really good stuff in this conversation coming up. I mean, we, we, we touch a little bit on some of the technical sides of things. So I certainly left with a better understanding of what sentiment analysis itself actually is, a little bit of an understanding of how the process works, obviously, you know, total base level understanding, but I, I learned a little bit of that, um, as well as some reflections on how you can use for findings to, to help organisations. Yeah, and I now know what machine learning is, so that's Woo! a win. <laughs> uh, I, in all seriousness, I think Andy explains really clearly yeah. and simply how uh, machine learning might be being, uh, is being used certainly in, in his product and might be in the industry, and, um, and also... Um, because he comes from a business background and because his, his background is not people, um, I think he comes uh, trying to solve a problem that he as a manager had. And I always find that a different yeah, it's a perspective. Sort of, we're a good purpose behind it. Yeah. Sort of motivation. So I really enjoyed this conversation, yeah. as you'll probably guess, judging by the number of questions I asked. Yeah. Um, but I think it's probably just best to hand over to Andy in the conversation. Or before that, why don't we talk about getting in touch? Ooh, good catch. Good catch. So um, <laughs> if you are listening to this episode and you want to get in touch, as always, www.thewowpodcast.org. Uh, uh, and we are always on Twitter at The Wow Podcast. So whether you are lying on your beach, on your sun lounger, or you are Wherever still you are. at work this summer, yeah. or on skis down south yeah, in the yeah, southern hemisphere, yeah. um, get in touch. Let us know what you think of the episode. Um, and for now, we'll leave you with Andy. All right, everyone. So here we are in the core part of our conversation today. We are focusing on a conversation with Andy Roberts, and, and we're going to be speaking a little bit of, about uh, things to do with sentiment analysis and a little bit of, of an exploration of exploring data within the world of, of people and a little bit of people analytics as well. But before we jump into that, why don't we hand over to Andy? And Andy, could you introduce yourself to the audience and say a little bit about your background? Hi, yeah, thanks, James. Um, yeah, I'm Andy Roberts. So I'm CEO and founder of Weekly 10. Um, and Weekly 10 is an um, employee engagement platform which is focused on a very short-term weekly check-in um, between employees and their managers. Um, it's designed to 
essentially replace traditional performance management platforms and engagement surveys with something which is uh, more cultural and focused on continuous uh, continuous communication. Um, and as part of that, we have a machine learning platform which takes that data and um, and looks at um, things such as sentiment analysis um, and provides that data to to management to make to make key decisions. Um, my background itself is um, is actually one within the software and leadership space, um, and and that's across finance, e-commerce. Um, and telecommunications industries. So I've worked in both startups and SMEs, as well as some large uh, multinational corporations. So I've had good visibility on how engagement works in those organizations um, and how companies have, and organizations have done that in the past, and in some cases are still doing, uh, still doing so today. That's a, that's a really good um, introduction. And, and you've got a, a quite a varied background, which is really helpful for this. So a combination mm -hmm. of the sort of technical side and, and some of the IT side with some of the engagement side is kind of interesting for us. Um, just to start things off, when you speak about employee engagement, what exactly do, does that mean to you? What, what's your view of employee engagement? So I get, I get the thing with um, these terms is there's no um, well-defined um, definition, I guess, in the, in the dictionary. But engagement really, really to myself and to us is, is, is about... The relationship between an organization and its employees okay. and to that two-way relationship and how an employee feels towards that organization more widely and obviously that organization is both the entity and a collection of, of people in itself but it's yeah. very much about the way in which people feel um, about the organization they work in Mm -hmm. and, and so, so why is that important from an organizational perspective? I guess you, you've kind of jumped out of some for a former part of your career to really focus on it. What, what is it about engagement that you find so important to organizations? Well, I think it, there's a lot of evidence out there that, that suggests that highly engaged employees have, you know, certainly high levels of productivity and lower levels of absenteeism. Um, in fact, I think some of the latest, some latest statistics are, other employees are up to 21% more productive when they're, when they're highly engaged with an organization and around 30 to 40% less likely to call in sick or leave the organization. So when we're actually looking at the, the market out there these days, you could, you could often say that it's a candidate market in the fact that it's all about getting the right talent in the right roles and it's expensive to hire and retain and make sure that people are in, uh, you know, are doing those roles that are uh, that are out there, and you know, getting the right people in and retaining them is is critical. And you can traditionally do that by giving them pay rises and doing various different things, but essentially giving them a feeling within an organisation that they uh, contribute and that they. Um, you know, have a, a desire to move this organization forward is, is in many cases a much stronger way to, to motivate and retain that talent. You said a little bit at the beginning there about how highly engaged people are more productive and, and so there's obviously some benefits around that. When, when you look at people and, and when you think about it, how many or what sort of proportion of the population do you think are engaged in their roles at the minute? Have you got any sense of that? Um, yeah, well, it, it typically will vary per sector. Okay. But I think if you're looking at some of the customers we've worked with, um, you may be looking at less than 15% um, 
in terms of highly engaged employees. I mean, typically you'll see that um, that employees would, from a traditional performance uh, pulse survey, you will see this, but also kind of in different ways that you look at people analytics, it's exactly the same. You'll typically split your employee population between engaged employees, so people who have a um, are, are really um, positive in their outlook towards an organization, have a, a sense of belonging and the fact that they want that organization to grow and, and do better. And then you'll have the kind of middle of the road, not engaged, okay. but not necessarily highly disengaged employees, which would be your typical kind of coasting people. So the people who are, um, you know, they're not necessarily damaging the organization and they're not, um, you know, affecting others. However, they're probably doing the minimum required um, in terms of what they're doing. And then finally, you have the disengaged side of things, which is where people can actually be um, actively negative to organization and detrimental in that they may affect the attitudes and opinions of other people in the organization and possibly even outside of the organization. Um, so typically, we'd see that split across. I mean, typically, in a, especially in the UK, where productivity is, is one of the lowest in the um, you know in the developed world, you will see um, levels of engagement, um, certainly engaged employees at, at you know at less than fifteen percent, and then you'll find a large the, the most proportion in in obviously in that kind of coasting that coasting zone. Sure, I mean I, I I've heard you know similar types of metrics before, but it's always amazing to me the level of um, disengagement or, or the lack of positive engagement that's out there. I mean it's sort of fascinating, and and it speaks to so much kind of unrealized potential to some extent, unrealized opportunity to both be productive, but also to have a, a higher quality of personal working experience. Definitely, definitely. I, th I think, and it's, and it's a real concern that the majority of organizations haven't got a handle on, on, on this problem um, because it is clearly a, um, a competitive edge. If, if you can increase, even by a small fraction, you're highly engaged, your highly engaged staff and uh, more often than not it, it's left down to individuals to engage with an organization um, and you know newsletters or you know the odd engagement survey from senior management etc is seen as a way of engaging employees if you actually speak to employees um, they you know they have a have a different view so you know we I'd see it as being a way of empowering um, managers and empowering others to you know, generate this network effect within an organization to, um, to increase engagement rather than just relying on very, very high level strategic um, initiatives. Well, I think, I think what's really interesting about what you're saying is it brings together, so we, we talked in a, a previous episode about mm. motivation theories and we talked a little bit about self-determination theory as one of, yeah. one of the um, theories that was relevant. And I think what's really interesting about what you're saying is, is that it, it relates really well to two of the three key elements of that theory, which is, you know, people want autonomy. They want the ability to engage fully and actually put back and have a two way conversation. And also, mm -hmm. and I think this is the bit that I think organizations really struggle with is this concept of relatedness that the employees want a relationship with their organization. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it is not a newsletter. I was, I was just reflecting on, on what you were talking about a little bit, and I know you're going to come on mm -hmm. to some of the tools that, that you guys use, but, um, 
I remember I worked in an organization and, and the CEO used to send out weekly newsletters about what he'd been up to. And he mm. saw that as really powerful. And I was like, yeah, but do you know what the rest of everyone else is up to? Yeah. And it was a one way conversation, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. And, and, and don't get me wrong. It was a step further than the previous CEO, yeah. but it's still a long way from having a two way conversation. Definitely. Definitely. And that, and that, that is it. It's do, do employees feel as though they have a role in the determination of where that organization goes and you know, whether it is an, you know, whether it's a nonprofit and there's different targets to a profit making company, but it, it's, do you have an influence and what is your influence on the strategy of that organization? And around that, what does that mean in terms of whether it's recognition in terms of whether that's, you know, a, a sense of achievement, etc. There are a number of different components in there which, you know, cannot be, as you say, um, cannot be fulfilled by a, by a one-way conversation. We used to, um, in one of my old organizations, we used to talk a little bit about a phrase that I don't really like, but the underlying, you know, you I kind of like, which is um, colleagues share a voice. And that's, you know, the, the sort of two-way thing. So as much as I, as I said, I don't like the, the phrase, I kind of like what it's getting at. Um, yeah, definitely. So, so that's a little bit around the topic of engagement and, and to some extent why it's important and a little bit of a, a view of the current state. Um, you know, if you're going to improve something, one of the first things that you need to do is to really measure it. So how do you go about or how do you see organizations go about analyzing and understanding the current state in relation to engagement? Well, I guess, I guess the traditional way the, is the engagement survey. And there are plenty of organizations out there still providing engagement surveys. Um, I, I did see a statistic very recently that organizations, um, uh, I think less than, uh, I think around about 60% of organizations are now uh, 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 still using engagement surveys, but the, yeah. the remainder are actually moving away um, more towards people analytics, um, et cetera, which I think in itself is, is dangerous, but um, we might be able to talk about that when we, when we talk about um, sentiment analysis in a bit more detail. Um, but at the moment, um, it, it is about the engagement survey and there are large, organisa large organisations out there which will have, you know, 12 questions, you'll answer the questions and you'll get a score back. Yeah. And that will be run every six or 12 months. And it, it's, it is a, it's a, you know, it's, it's an interesting concept because it's a, a, a moment in time, which, which again is, um, which I think is a challenge around those traditional means. Because if you're asking somebody that question once a year or every six months, you don't know what happened the day before or the day that you asked the question. You know what? I've answered some questions dreadfully when I've been really annoyed the day after. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll I know someone who used to send it out the day after the pay rises well, been announced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we always used to give, we, basically when I was involved in some of this stuff, what we would do mm -hmm. is we'd do a series of comms like, at the start of the year, you said you wanted more training and development. Look, here's all the great stuff we've done for you. You wanted this other stuff? We've done all this great stuff for you. Isn't everything nice? Now will you do a survey? I mean, exactly. And that, you know, that, that really, and that's kind of where my career change came from and, and why I started um, the company that I did was around the fact that these are seen as tick box exercises for one person, whether it's in management or, or HR, but it's essentially ticking their box for the year yeah. and seeing, seeing that progress and not actually using the measurement as something which is going to have an impact on the company's uh, bottom line. Um, or the organization's outcomes. So they have to be used in the right way. And the challenge with them as well is the fact that um, you often have the data, but then 
there's no empowerment for managers to actually use that data and, uh, and take action and improve things. So yeah. you have to be careful that you're just not measuring, you know, you're measuring something and praying that it goes up in many respects. Yeah. Um, but, and I, and I guess the, 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 the other measure often has been the, the performance reviews and, and looking at, you know, goals people have set, um, et cetera. But, you know, I, th I think as we've all come to see, and there's plenty of evidence out there that say that both employees and managers do not engage with, um, with that process, but actually looking at companies often look at the number of goals set, for example, um, by, um, by employees um, for, for the year. But again, there'll often be targets and managers are kind of um, beating with a stick to, to kind of get their employees to, to set goals. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's how, that's traditionally how we, you know, we, we see when we go into organizations, we see how, how that's being done. Um, but on the flip side, we are now starting to see, as I mentioned with the, with the drop in the number of um, engagement surveys being run, is the use of people analytics. Um, but that in itself carries some danger because often that means that the data is actually coming passively from employees so whether it's looking at especially for large organizations whether it's looking at attrition um, changes in productivity um, you know number of meetings managers have etc this data doesn't directly come from employees so in itself you can actually be making um, making the engagement side of things worse by by using by using different techniques as well and, and by by the way you're describing that you mean it's just kind of like observational incidental data that people are taking to use for their analytics is that is that what you're getting at yeah so so rather than asking employees a question um actually just looking at the raw data and whether it's big data analysis or whether it's using things like machine learning um to extrapolate and, and, and interpret that data and then make predictions off, off the back of that um, that can be done just using um, employee data. Um, you know, there are even there are even stories out there at the moment about, um, and none of our customers, thankfully, have, uh, are using this at the moment. Um, around um, actually recording all the the um, the typing that you do on your on your laptop, for example, so actually capturing everything you've typed in. So looking at productivity from that perspective, looking at um, you know all kinds of stuff whether it's keyword analysis in that whether it's um how active you are within you know within within that within that period so uh, that in itself although you might be getting some useful data um it is the wrong message to to employees from an, an engagement perspective as well so um you might be able to measure things but you're not you know at the same time you may well be uh, crossing the barrier of trust with with your employees well, that, I mean, it's just, it's, it's an extraordinary way to think about it, isn't it? Because if effectively what you're saying is, we don't believe you're able to articulate what the problems are. So we're going to try and identify them directly from what your behavior or what you're, mm. what you're actually doing. But in doing so, we may damage the relationship so much you don't want to be. Yeah, yeah. 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 You know, the experimenter influences the experiment, that kind of thing, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, definitely. so these are these are two of the ways that companies are currently trying to address yeah. these issues. Yeah. Um, what are the alternatives? So, you know, the alternative, uh, certainly from my perspective, is about changing the culture of the way in which feedback is provided. So, 
typically, as, as we've just mentioned, it, it's very much a, there's a combination of ways that feedback's elicited from what, we, what we've just mentioned. One is from a survey, which is done regularly, but maybe um, every six months or, or what have you. Um, and some organizations have now started doing those monthly or even weekly. Um, but the problem with those reviews themselves and those, those questions is they're often leading questions. So how are you feeling between one and 10? How do you feel about the organization between one and 10, et cetera? What you're doing is you're, you're setting the context and then asking somebody a, a relatively closed question behind that. Um, I believe that it's really about changing the culture of an organization from, from the ground up and encouraging the conversations and empowering managers to do so. Um, often middle management is seen as a, a bit of a dirty word um, and there's a big focus on pure leadership but the skill of management is, is as important as ever and managers need to be empowered to get feedback from their employees and actually act on that feedback throughout the organization rather than it going purely to senior management and bypassing managers because many issues and many, um, you know, much of what you're trying to achieve through these strategic initiatives can be achieved by managers if you give them the right tools. Yeah. So, you know, the, the approach of having something which is, whether it's weekly, bi-weekly or something, but something which is there, whether it's in the calendar or whether it's using a software platform to provide continual feedback and have that conversation makes managers' job much easier and, and actually more effective and also opens up the organization to, to employees. And there are many other different ways of doing that. So for example, um, um, you can have peer recognition built into those, those type of things as well, where you can um, encourage people to think about the job that other people have been doing and uh, you know, good work that's been done and share that work. And then also through employee exposure, which is often, which is often under, underrated. So actually exposing good work um, and allowing managers to do that in a way which is consistent um, across the organization. So I believe it's very much about having that conversation and having consistent conversations across the organization, not just relying on, you know, the, the 10 or 15% of really proactive managers, but actually have some, a framework there which managers can build upon um, uh, and, and provide that support. Yeah, that's some really interesting stuff in there. Um... I think in terms of where I'd like to go next with this, I'd like to jump on to actual sentiment analysis itself. So, I mean, we talked about collecting different types of data. You get um, metrics in from your engagement surveys. You get, um, so, so you can get like quantitative data in from those, looking at, I guess, response rates and scoring to different questions. You can get, um, you know, text-based responses to feedback where you're eliciting opinions and all that kind of stuff. If you've got a mixed pool of data like that, where does sentiment analysis come in? I guess, what is sentiment analysis and how do you use the data to, to analyze sentiment? So, so sentiment analysis is essentially the understanding of the emotion and, and potentially subjectivity within natural language. So it's, you know, if, you're, if we're having this conversation now and you, and you say something, um, then I can pretty much immediately, based on the language that you've used, without seeing your face or... Your, your reaction in your face, I can pretty much tell whether you're being positive, whether you're being negative, whether you're being constructive, etc. And you know, I can decipher that because of my experience of those words and how they've been used in the past. And that's purely what sentiment analysis is. It's about taking natural language, 
and working out what it means from um, uh, from a, a you know a level of subjectivity, I guess, from from a level of emotion, and and that's that sentiment analysis. Now, where it comes into its own when we're talking about people analytics is the fact that, as I mentioned, the importance of having these conversations and having these open conversations rather than questions is that because we have this text data, we have, we've collected data of these conversations, we can actually then tell how the organization from a sentiment perspective is. So whether it's at department level, organization level, um, you know, what is the prevailing trend of sentiment across, across an organization um, because you have this text? Gotcha. Sorry. We were about, <laughs> the, about the, to say something at the, the same time. The breath in means we've both got questions at the same time, um, of which I've got many. Really. Uh, so, and when you're thinking about the use of sentiment analysis, is that yeah. predominantly in a conversation, a, a conversation in inverted commas, because I realise that there's data and text involved, but a, a conversation between the individual and the organisation, between the individual and the manager, or between the um, individual and other people in terms of, uh, who, who does the person think they're giving feedback to? It's 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 potentially any any of any of the above that you that okay. you've just kind of covered. Now that the area we focus in on is the open questions. Um, so typically, um, you know, the standing questions between, say, a manager and employee, because those are the conversations which really judge what the prevailing sentiment is. Now the important that um, sentiment analysis is, is best used as a trend and uh, at a higher level than say just at an individual level. But it gives you, it, it kind of gives you a view of the kind of water cooler talk that you don't get from an engagement survey. So you're actually getting underneath the, the skin of the organization and understanding, you know, what what does it you know mean? What are these what do these conversations mean? But there are there are other analysis rather than just the, the you know the pure um, view of whether an organisation is positive or negative, um, because you can also group together. So you can you can work out whether um, the organisation is positive or negative about a certain client or customer or about a certain project, for example. So there are also different techniques you can use using um, similar, um, you know, kind of AI and machine learning technology that, that will give you, give you more detail. Yeah. And, and just one, another question for me, how, how do you cope with, or does, does sentiment analysis cope with people where maybe the language that you're analyzing in isn't their first language? Or do you find that there are differences when people have, I don't know, for example, grown up in, different English-speaking countries? Um, yes, so there, there are different impacts to what we would call baseline sentiment um, between both um, whether your first language is, is English, for example, or whether um, you're in a certain role type. So we actually, uh, the system that we, we develop actually looks at what we call role archetype, which is the fact that maybe a software engineer has a completely different baseline sentiment to a sales um, director, for example, Sorry, and also different levels of the organization. We're both looking at each other because you're just, I, I know that James is thinking without even looking how cool that is. Yeah. 
Mm. How cool that is, and also how much I desperately want to see what those baselines are. Yeah, and that, and, and it, um, uh, so, it, so it does vary, and also the first language, um, or, or whether your second language, English, has an impact. But the point of, of, of sentiment and, and the way in which we use it is that it's not so much about the sentiment ratio that, that we would generate. It's more about the change in sentiment. So you have a baseline sentiment, a prevailing sentiment, and it's when that changes, it's when there's potentially concerns or when, you know, something's potentially happening. So it's more about the change in sentiment rather than its baseline. And so do, do some organisations use this for major change programmes and things like that? So, for example, if they were going through a restructure, would they use it to see what detrimental effects it's having on the workforce, for example? Exactly. So some of our customers um, will use this both looking backwards, so from a retrospective perspective and also looking forward. So, for example, um, you can bring in data about maybe it was financial results. And this also gives you an idea of how engaged your staff are about financial results. Um, so if you release financial results, you know, did that impact the sentiment? And uh, you can also look at, you know, a, a slightly lower level, whether there's a change in sentiment when a key leader within the organization left. Um, so you can look both backwards and then also look and use that data to, to, to do some level of predictive analysis based on kind of what's happened before and, and the way in which the model, you know, it expects things to change based on, based on that sentiment. Yeah, I've seen. Um, I went to a behavioral finance conference a little while ago, and this is a bit of a, a bit of an aside, I guess. But when I was there, there were some people talking about using natural language processing and analyzing sort of Twitter data to look at um, yeah. automated investment decisions. Is that loosely the same type of approach that you'd use, or mm. similar? So, um, the, yeah, the the use case you mentioned is a, is a key use case that probably the biggest use case outside of what we're talking about in terms of people analytics would be around marketing analysis. So, uh, and that's very much similar to what you mentioned. So monitoring social media, bringing that data in and looking at how people are talking about products, about companies um, more widely. Um, and indeed um, some of that data is being used for employee sentiment analysis However, um, within, within, within our approach, we don't use that data. Um, we typically don't think it's that accurate for employee data. Rather, we use the data which is internal within an organization. Um, but yeah, it's exactly the same principle. It's about understanding what that text means from a, uh, within the context that it's being used, what it means from a, um, a, you know, a sentiment and emotion perspective. And, and just on that, so, so the actual sentiment analysis, if I understand it, you know, at all, is effectively you get text, you get lots of text, you analyze that text, you look at keywords, and then you look at presumably relationships between the words that are in there and, and some sort of sense of positivity for each word. Um, how does it work in, in, at that level? Yes and, yes and no. So the way in which, the way in which our, our platform works is it is a machine learning based platform. Mm -hmm. So. Um, in the way machine learning works is essentially you have an artificial intelligence algorithm. So you have algorithm, which is essentially a load of code, right? So it's a list of instructions. And what the algorithm does is it learns what positive, what negative and what neutral looks like. Okay. So it's not so much about looking for a positive word. 
It's the fact that the algorithm has learnt what positive looks like and what negative looks like. So it actually takes away the subjectivity of, uh, of us deciding what a positive and negative word is. And actually, it, it, it's similar to as I was saying before, in that if you say something to me, I naturally know because of my neural network in my brain, yeah. very quickly whether you're being positive or negative. And that's exactly what our platform does in terms of you give it some text, it knows from past experience what positive and negative looks like. And it provides a response with essentially the ratio of how positive or negative that, that text is. Um, so, so that's the way it works rather than looking for specific keywords. So now, you don't tell it what positive is. You, you give it a lot of data and a lot of instances to work through and then it, it defines it? Yeah, so we actually get a lot of our data from different sources outside of, um, outside of um, the people space, really. So we will pull in um, lots of different data, which typically we will use something called supervised. Well, we use a combination of what we call supervised and unsupervised machine learning. So supervised machine learning is where you provide a piece of text and you also provide it with a score. So you say, this is text, this is positive, or this is text and this is negative. Now, one of the data sources for that, a great data source, is review data. Because when you write a review, you say something which is positive or negative, and then you give it a star rating. Great. And that, if you give that to an AI, it can train up very quickly, and it can tell whether the next response is, uh, you know, the next input is positive or negative. But we can also use unsupervised learning, which uses a clustering technique. So it essentially takes lots of data in and works out relationships between different groups of text. And then from that, it can decipher, actually, it falls into this category. Gotcha. And then it gives you a bit more subtlety in terms of how that works. So we actually use a combination of, of that supervised and unsupervised learning for, for, for our algorithms. Yeah. Um uh, sorry, the reason I'm slightly silent is my mind's slightly blown. Um, <laughs> just because I'm trying to think through all of the uh, implications of, of what you're talking about. And mm. I think particularly, um, I just want to rewind a little bit, which I know yeah. is not directly related, but I'm really interested. You talk about um, this conversation between potentially managers and, and employees, given that that's probably the strongest relationship. Um, mm -hmm. And you talk about it in two ways. One is you talk about it as a learning opportunity for organisations to track yeah. trends and the other you talk about it as facilitating a management tool to help people is that yeah. is that right and if so from flashing back to your old life what matters more what's the best so, what's the bigger value the the biggest value fundamentally is in the person-to-person -person conversation between a manager and employee because that is the culture that you build in an organization what the analytics does is it gives you a bellwether of your organization as to whether you're making progress or you're not making progress in, a, in, a, in, a, in an accurate way. So, and it's not about, and it's about being very transparent with employees as well. They should know that anonymously they are tracking sentiment within an organization. Um, but certainly the, power, the most powerful element of those two has to be the, the conversations that, that happen in an organization. Because that, that's, what, that's what an organization runs on. It doesn't run on predictive analytics. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, when you're getting data, do, do you get it purely from your sort of structured and open feedback tools and conversations, or do you or others do things like trawl 
uh, messaging, troll, uh, email traffic, troll phone conversations. Where, where, does the, where does the line end on that kind of stuff? So we take a very, um, a very strict line that we just use the data that comes in via the, via the updates. So via the regular conversations that come in through, through our platform. Um, we don't look at email. We don't look at um, instant messaging conversations. It's very much from those conversations. Now, the, the other reason for that, as well as that being something which means that employees know what's going on, is that we also know the context behind that. So we know, for example, that a question has been asked around what of your successes this week. So we expect that response to be more positive than the average, for example. Yeah, that makes sense. So we can then actually build a more accurate picture of that, of that sentiment when it comes to the, um, the management view. Um, what this is really about is, re is the fact that as almost as a side effect of having lots of data in this space, we're able to provide very accurate analytics from a sentiment perspective. Um, it, that it, can be it feels like you're also on a very practical level. You know, one of the things consistently, that, and you mentioned it at the opening, I think, around trusting middle management and junior managers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think what, what by, by having this byproduct of data, you give senior managers and leaders a way of saying, look, you can still monitor what's going on. You can still get information. You don't have to be involved in every conversation. And actually, if you let your managers get on and manage and give them the tools to do so, you will get more and better and richer data that will give you a better understanding of how to improve the, the wider organization anyway. Definitely. So you're building that culture by having those conversations. And then, yeah, exactly. You're then also getting the, you know, the data at the, at the top level. And, you know, because that means that managers are getting value out of that whole process. So are employees. And it's not something you're forcing people to go down, down the route of um, filling out a, a survey, for example. Yeah. And this is much more accurate data than a survey because what you're doing is you're actually getting into those conversations rather than asking the questions that you specifically want answers to. Um, so, so, yeah, it, it is about building that, um, building that empowerment. So I guess, I guess that's the really positive side of it. Um, James has just asked, the previous question James asked, I think we've, we're pretty much asking to everyone who's involved in this kind of space because we understand the challenges. You, mm. You've alluded to it. Um, ethics around machine learning, artificial intelligence, mm. data, particularly data, is, is just huge at the moment in terms of people's yeah. concerns. Um, I guess my question is, you sound like you've got very clear boundaries. We know mm -hmm. there are other organisations who maybe don't see it that way. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think the risks are for employees, for organizations, um, as this kind of understanding of how we can use data to change employee relationships goes forward and grows? So I, th I think if you looked at what we, you know, we, we talked earlier about, there is danger that employees are ignored um, because they, you know, data is just taken passively. Um, rather than actually actively from, um, from, from people, from the conversations. Um, but there clearly are issues in terms of privacy. Um, what I would say is that GDPR actually does a pretty good job of protecting employees from uh, certain aspects. So, for example, if we, look at, um, if we look at profiling, GDPR specifically calls out profiling as being something you require consent for. So... What we don't do is we don't provide sentiment analysis for an individual. So we couldn't say, James, this is your sentiment for the year. 
what we do is at an aggregate level, a department or an organization level, or even role type level, we're able to pull out that data. So, and that, GDPR, sorry, just, just so I'm clear, that is primarily because of GDPR legislation that kind of uh, handcuffs organizations to, them, to, to where they can get to. And just to be clear, GDPR is a European general data protection regulation piece. So, so yeah. it's a European focus. But, but that is because of that. It, it, um, yeah, so uh, we, we made the decision that we don't believe providing sentiment per user yeah. is something which is, which is ethically correct. Now, the reason being, although we want there to be an open, transparent conversation between employees, managers, senior management, and more widely in an organization, sentiment analysis is profiling. So what you're doing is you're pulling data out and making an estimate based on what somebody said. It's not something they've specifically said, if, if you know what I mean. So there is, there is, a, danger, there, there is a danger there, ethically, that you're you know, making decisions based on what somebody said when maybe they didn't mean that, for example. So it's, so, some, it's someone else's interpretation or translation, albeit a very educated guesswork, educated, informed one. It's still it, a translation. Exactly. You shouldn't be able to make uh, you know, a decision to fire somebody, for example, based on that data because it's yeah. profiling data. So we see sentiment analysis as being very much a, a bellwether, really, of an organization. And when you see something changing, so if you're comparing sentiment across different office locations or um, different role types, you see a change in that, then it's about looking at what's actually happening underneath yeah. um, and, and trying to investigate that and talking to people um, about that. So what GDPR is very good at, at protecting um, individuals, even in the workplace, which is sometimes not, you know, not seen as personal data, but, but a lot of it is um, at doing that. Now, obviously that doesn't apply to the US um, and it doesn't apply to many other parts of, of the world. However, um, EU, EU companies must comply to that regardless of where they provide that service. So it does provide a, a good level of protection um, in that respect. Um, but yeah, it is about working also with companies who are ethical and transparent about the way in which this data is used. Okay, that's really, really great. Thank you. Um, I think that's all my questions. I think it'd be really useful um, if maybe you could share with listeners how they might learn a little bit more about what you do and about a little bit about... Uh, your organization because um, I feel like we're literally scratching the surface. Yeah, clearly we're at the start of it. So it'd be great to, to help them find out more. Yeah, sure. So, so we actually, as part of, uh, as part of our platform, we also um, have a research part of the organization. We work very closely with a number of UK based universities on, um, on both the engagement side. So both the, the kind of low level conversations and, and, you know, when it's best to have those, what the best questions to ask are, for example. And then also on the, the, the sentiment analysis side, and we build psychological models on top of the sentiment analysis to actually make more sense of just raw sentiment. Um, so we actually publish quite a lot of our information um, on our website as well, which is at weekly10.com. Um, and there's also details in there. We, we also um, look at certain you know blog articles we have one on kind of four day week and and how that could impact productivity um in the uk if it was if it was potentially adopted um and various different different things there so you can find more information about the product and also 
also some of our R&D work um, on our website. We're also um, obviously on social media these days, so um, you'll see us on Twitter, Facebook, and, uh, and LinkedIn. Yeah, and we will, uh, as we always do when we put out this episode, we will uh, point people in the right direction on our social media and on website as well, because I know that if you're interested in this kind of area, and I know a lot of the people, particularly some of my fellow master's students and some of the HR people that I work with are really interested in this stuff, and they, w they want to get to a place where the data collection process is uh, has more elements to it than a simple collection process, right? Which yeah. is what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting, I think, definitely. Okay. Um, really annoyingly, we've run out of time. Yeah, it's a great I've got like a, I've yeah. got a like list of questions in front of me, but um, <laughs> I will go away and think about them and then maybe we'll come back to you. Yeah. But um, for now, it's probably just enough for us to say thank you very much for your time. Um, it's been really, really interesting learning about what you do and your background and, and also um, understanding some, some more about sentiment analysis and how it works. Uh, anything from you, James? No, just reiterate the thanks. It was really interesting. Great to learn a little bit more. Fantastic. Uh, topic really really useful so thank you so thanks a lot andy and we look forward to speaking to you again great thanks a lot see you soon right so welcome back that was our conversation with andy from weekly 10 i thought it was a, a really great conversation and you did ask a lot of questions yeah and i do feel like i turned into a fangirl halfway <laughs> yeah, yeah, through, yeah, which yeah, is yeah, slightly yeah. awkward sorry andy. andy um but i i just think uh, certainly from my point of view i i found it really refreshing how he talked about ethics yeah but also uh, he talked about collecting of data only for the purposes of this and only looking at data that is specifically for analysis yeah um and to me what he was saying, not only the ethical argument, but the practical one, which is by understanding the questions that the data is given in relation to. So for example, I think the example he gives is where they've asked about successes for the week. Yeah. They know it's likely to be more positive. They can get much better understanding of what that trend might be like. Yeah. Um, so I, for me, that was that was a really helpful takeaway. Yeah, I thought that was good. I, I mean, I thought the whole conversation was good. I think the, the starting of a conversation with some framing around engagement and how it works and what it means for organizations is always helpful. Like Andy said, everybody's got a different view of what engagement really means. My lecture refers good. to it as a slippery fish engagement. A slippery, yeah, okay. a slippery fish for definition. Hard to grab onto. I totally get that. Um, so I thought that was useful. And I thought some of the conversation about the different types of data that were out there um, were good as well. And like you, I really liked that ethics point. Um, yeah. I, think, I, I think it's absolutely right that um, people are aware that data can be used for all kinds of purposes. And that sentiment analysis works across all kinds of different types of data sources. But I think there is a, a bit of an ethical obligation to, to a, approach things like sentiment analysis in the right There's way. There's also a, a hidden a hidden nugget of, of Steve Jobs-esque culture, which is hire good people and then get out of the way, right? Yeah. So there is an implication of if you give managers the tools to better have open dialogue and then share that information, you can much more effectively shape an organization yeah. than if you try and control what your managers do. Yeah, and we touched on that. I mean, we didn't really drill into it as much as, as I thought we might about the um, you know, the, the place for empowerment and autonomy and all that kind of stuff. But that's very much implicit in what's uh, I think it uh, underpins what he talks yeah. about throughout. Which yeah, is and trusting your managers to be managers and investing in them and helping them. And yeah. Um, I think that's really powerful. All right, so for me, that was a great conversation. Um, as ever, you can get in touch with us at the usual places. You can get us on uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, other places, Instagram, uh, Twitter, at The Wow Podcast. That's probably our most uh, most frequented of the social media sites. So you can yeah, always get Yeah, and if you're interested in Andy, Andy's work and uh, his organization, Weekly 10, then um, check out our Twitter feed when we launch this episode and you'll be able to find the links there. Yeah, there'll be a link on the website as well. Cool. All right, so I guess it's just time to say goodbye from us. Uh, so it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Hi, 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the World of Work podcast. To learn more about what we do, please check out our website, www.worldofwork.io, where you can read some great articles, learn more about the seminars and courses that we deliver, or even support us if you wish through our Patreon page. That's www.worldofwork.io. Thank you. Thank you.